For the sixth time in seven years, the Houston Astros are your AL West division champs. Now, for the sake of sportsmanship, I hope they send an extra bottle of champagne to Seattle. For the sake of rivalry, I really hope they let Hector Neris write the card. It's episode 43 of Stone Cold Strows, and it starts right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Strohs. I'm Brandon Strange with Charlie Palillo and Josh Jordan. Follow them on X at Palillo at Josh Jordan 975. Make sure you're reading Charlie's weekly column on sportsmap.com. A reminder that the three of us host a weekly Texans podcast called Texans on Tap. You can find that on our new Sportsmap Texans YouTube channel or on your favorite podcast provider. Charlie, it's episode 43. Let's highlight an Astros player who wore 43. And there are a few good ones here. So I'm excited to hear who you're shouting out this week. I shall go with Jim Deshays in part, not for the number 43 that he wore, but for his years as a, an outstanding uh, color analyst on Astros television all those years uh, alongside Bill Brown, uh, but had a solid career, better part of a decade uh, as a pitcher, as a rookie in 1986, uh, won 12 games, still the Astros franchise record for a rookie pitcher, went unused in the series against the Mets 37 years later, I know at least a couple of people still haven't gotten over that. But I'm going to go Jimmy D with a, a nod to Ken Forsh, who threw a no-hitter in an Astros uniform wearing number 43. But uh, it's JD for me. I want to give a shout out to Chris Sampson, whose story almost mirrors that of J.P. Francis. Toiled in the minors for several years, about to give up on baseball, and then was kind of convinced by the wife to stick it out. And then opportunities dictate that they get called up to the big club unexpectedly. In the case of Sampson, was able to make a short run career out of it. So shout out to Chris Sampson. Guys, let's get right into it. Nobody ever said it'd be easy, but if it were, where'd be the fun in that? Uh, just a week ago, the Astros had about a 26% chance of winning the division. Now the Astros find themselves with the second best odds uh, to make the World Series behind the Braves. They will now host the winner of Toronto or Minnesota. It's been a stranger season, so I guess it makes sense and fitting that the least likely outcome was the one that came to fruition here. Let's talk about what we learned in this final stretch of the season. Just how big was the result of the dominoes landing the way that they did? Well, it's massive, and people can debate home. Would they be better off on the road? Look. For starters, winning the division basically doubles the Astros' chances of getting back to the World Series and defending their championship. It's very simple. You're in that best out of three, and how many times in recent weeks have the Astros demonstrated this? A garbage team can beat a really good team in a three-game series so that a good team can beat another good team, or a good team can beat a great team in a best out of three. At over 162 games, water is ultimately going to find its level Best out of three is largely a dice roll. So is best out of five. So is best out of seven, but not as much so as best out of three. So the Astros avoiding that, along with tacking one more division championship banner onto this dynastic run. Uh, but the reality is, uh, had the Astros had to go, and even though they've been road warriors, if they would have been at Tampa, they could very easily have been out in two. Or maybe it would have taken three. Um, wherever they may have wound up, however it fell. Uh, but now getting to line up your pitching, be raring to go Saturday against a team that has used up some of its pitching to get to Minute Maid Park to start the division series. 
that is just colossal. And as my rider to that, I want to say, hey, you're an Astros fan in recent years. Easy was fun being secretariat out in front of the field. <laughs> but look, if you live and die with it, wasn't this so much more exhilarating and in at least one respect rewarding at the end to get it done the way they got it done? And I would personally also add uh, kind of a pet peeve of mine. Do we need any more proof that momentum is fleeting, ephemeral, and merely a description of how things are in the moment? It can turn at any point. The Astros have had to go up and down and up and down. Well, they picked the right week to have it go ultimately up. I'm not going to say the Rangers choked in the end. They just gave it up in Seattle fighting for its life, coming up a little bit short. Uh, the Astros blinked less, and hence they laugh last, which means they laugh best. American League West 2023. Oh, it feels so good. I don't know about you guys. I'd kind of given up on the thought of winning the division when you know things got pretty bleak there. I was just like, just just get in the playoffs. You know that'll be fine. But for things to line up and fall the way they did, and and to win five out of six to to finish the season, they didn't back into this. They went out and won the games they needed to win. They got a little help, but the help doesn't matter if you don't take care of your own business and. I just have to bring it up that the Rangers broadcast team going after the Diamondbacks for for not trying hard enough and the the Rangers couldn't manage to score one run with the, with the division on the line. Come on, man. It, sure, you would hope that the opponent puts out their best lineup, but you couldn't score one run. That's on you, Rangers. You know, j- just saying. You got to you got to you got to own that a little bit there, but I, I'm just I'm thrilled because this is going to just lay things out nicely. Now the bullpen can rest. I think that's going to be huge. Michael Brantley, it looks like from what we hear, he's going to push through this. He wants to play. He wants to be a part of it. So him getting a little bit of extra rest for that shoulder, I think could pay big dividends. Just just letting everybody reset, take a, take a deep breath and regroup. They're feeling good. You know, if, sometimes when life falls your way, it gives you a little bit of bounce, bounce in your step, a little more confidence. So I couldn't be more happy for how this worked out for them. They deserved it. When it mattered most, they stepped up. They won ball games. They pitched well. The bats came alive. And now they're AL West champions again. You can't say they weren't challenged either. They didn't coast to the finish line. Uh, They played essentially what were playoff games in that last week. And Josh, as you mentioned, won five of six. Considering the way... We saw Dusty manage during this final week and sticking with our theme of what did we learn here was basically this a preview of how Dusty plans on stacking his lineup during the postseason? Yeah, the question with Brantley, how often he can go to the post. Uh, The division series is favorable in that respect. If it goes the full five, game one, game two, off day. Game three, game four, off day. So Brantley can go no more than two consecutive games before some soreness creeps in uh, and then subject to potential matchups, which we'll, we'll get to going forward. Uh, Dubon coming up with multiple huge hits in September, the single biggest hit of the Astros' entire season, the three-run homer in Seattle, but the game-winning hit right, when the Astros were bleeding to the point where are they going to bleed out? Right, The game they won against the Orioles. Dubon with the game-winning hit there. And so along with Dusty wanting his outfield arm in, in there with, with Verlander pitching, uh, I think Dubon has secured himself uh, postseason starts. So there will be decisions to be made, I think, most specifically Chaz or Brantley when facing a right-handed starting pitcher. And the Twins are all right-handed starting pitchers. 
The Blue Jays do have a couple of lefties who could factor into the mix. Chaz, obviously over Brantley, or should be obviously, if facing a lefty against the righty, the form chart would suggest that Dusty will lean to Brantley if he's feeling right, since they want Jordan basically only DHing. Yeah, I find it interesting with Chaz, just that, you know, we heard the the quote from Dana Brown on the flagship about how he hopes they put the best offensive team out there. Chaz played in all the games, except for that one game in Seattle after he took that when he got beamed in the back and then they rested him after that. But outside of that, he played, he played the, the Diamondbacks games. So I think in that front office, that was the report that, that he wasn't being played enough. And then Dana drops that little, little bomb there. And, and we're seeing a, a lot of Chaz McCormick. So I have to think that's how it'll play out. The The starting rotation, I think will be interesting how they go about the bullpen, the way Abreu's getting a little more work here in critical situations. It'll be interesting to see what Dusty decides to do. And credit where it's due. We've uh, had plenty of slander to say about uh, Maldi and Abreu, but Abreu came, I mean, he basically was their only offense through the first two games of the uh, Arizona series. And Maldi, with some huge defensive plays, especially in in Saturday's game, uh, throwing out uh, the runner in the ninth inning there when you're holding on to a one nothing lead. So shout out to those guys. Also thought it was kind of interesting. Dana Brown had some comments about hoping Dusty Baker would put his best offensive lineup out there. Now, we did see Chaz play in this last series, uh, which is, I think, why it's important to talk about. Is this how Dusty's going to stack his lineup? One guy who we didn't see was Diaz. They did enough on field to where they could kind of fade Maldi's offense. And at times, you know, Maldi was able to swing the bat and be impactful in these games. Do we feel good that you have the depth to have a player like Diaz or a bat like Diaz to come off the bench? Uh, or is this still kind of frustrating that you're not putting maybe your best offensive options out there? Oh, I think overall it's frustrating. You're playing the second best player at the position, the overwhelming majority of the time, presumably uh, going forward. Look, they won 2-1 and won nothing Friday and Saturday. I'm not giving Maldi the credit for uh, Menza-level catching as to why they won those games. Urquidy pitched his ass off. And then Verlander backed that up with a tremendous start. Um, so I would want my better player in there the majority uh, of the time. Uh, I do want to say slander suggests inaccurate criticism. <laughs> Abreu overall stunk this year. Yeah. But just as Jordan Alvarez had a stretch where he went four for 34, it didn't mean Jordan stunk. It meant he stunk in that stretch. Right? Alex Bregman, yo-yo of a season where he flourished the final weekend after having been six for 51 going into the the Seattle series. Uh, Abreu overall was a terrible player this year, but he picked the best time to have his best week. He finished with a 680 OPS, which is bad for any player. It's awful uh, for a a first baseman, but it's where you end up. And if Abreu off a near 30 RBI closing month and a day uh, can carry that over and help lengthen that lineup in the postseason, obviously it, it augurs well. And, uh, you know, uh, Dusty, whether high road or I'm paying attention trying to get back to the World Series here, but don't you think that he was doing a not-so-slow burn, if apprised, of never manager Dana Brown calling out his decisions the final weekend of the season? Right, The Yiner stuff months ago? Okay. I uh, don't know how that sat with Dusty, uh, but I would understand Dusty being furious over this now from Dana Brown. 
Yeah, you mentioned Abreu there. We should give him some love over his last 30 games, 250 average, 536 slugging, and eight home runs. That was the thing where, you know, is the long ball going to be part of his game this year? So we had to wait a long time for it. But if there was a month for him to turn it on, this was the month. So way to go, Jose Abreu. I I hope he can carry that into the postseason as well because they're going to need him and you know he's going to be out there as far as the team i know we kind of tracked it all year astros finished fifth in team ops for the season and they finished eighth in team era so i mean we saw it bounce throughout the course of the season they were middle of the pack a lot of the way so to finish there fifth and eighth in in offense and defense or in offense and in pitching that's pretty good that's kind of what you would expect out of the astros so I'm really excited that they were able to do that. Just shows you a lot of balance right there with them because when they do co play the Jays and the Twins, they're really high up in these categories too. Their uh, Twins are seventh in OPS and they are sixth in ERA. Blue Jays 11th in OPS, Blue Jays fourth in ERA. So whichever matchup they get, it's going to be pretty even for the Astros. Look, this we- is the weakest full season Astros team uh, since the dynasty started in 2017. But the point all along was to get in the tournament and then hope you play the best ball over those three, four weeks of the postseason. And the bonus coming that they were able to do it and steal the division the last day of the year to avoid that shotgun round best of three. So now for all the analysis and assessing strengths and weaknesses, you just go out and play. Only one out of every four years on average in the wildcard era does the best team in a given season over 162 games wind up winning the World Series. The structure of baseball allows for routineness of upsets. Best of three, best of five, best of seven. The Atlanta Braves are quite clearly the best team in the major leagues this year. But that they're better than even money to win the World Series? No way. And you don't get prizes for having the best team in the postseason. You get the prizes for winning games in the postseason. You know, just to kind of close out on on this topic, we've understandably made comparisons between Abreu and uh, Yuli Gurriel all season just because one replaced the other. But man, we saw what Yuli Gurriel could do with some rest once they got to the postseason. If Abreu's hitting like this in combination with getting some rest, assuming that too much rest doesn't cause rust in his case, but as a professional hitter and a guy who may have a, a back that's barking at him at this point, to get some extra rest for a guy like him and Josh, as you mentioned, Mike. Michael Brantley, who really could use that. You were just hoping to get into the postseason, to get to the dance and hope that the majority of your guys are healthy. And that's been something they have struggled with all season. And for Abreu and Brantley to be available to you at this point of the season, so huge. You can't overstate the meaning in that. So guys, one of the things that was really impactful in this final stretch of the season was the pitching. They played a lot of close games. You saw both starters and bullpen really come up nails. I think one of the things that maybe we should start on is just how big now is that Justin Verlander trade in hindsight? Yeah, the overall winning percentage post-trade was basically the same as it was before, right? With the Astros collapsing with room to uncollapse. But Verlander was pretty average until his last two starts. His ERA was 3.93, his first nine starts after rejoining the team. But he was a dependable, almost without fail, at least six-inning guy to keep you in games, to not have your bullpen overly, 
overly taxed, you know, at every fifth turn through the rotation. Um, so, you know, I think it would be uh, simplifying to say that trade enabled them to win the division, but not grossly simplifying. It was just down the stretch. He was so good. I'm just looking at his last five games here on September 6th against the Rangers, seven innings, only four hits, one earned run, six Ks. Then he had a, a bad performance against the Oakland A's. Surprise, surprise with the Astros, <laughs> right? But then after that, Orioles game, six innings, three earned runs, five strikeouts. You know, that you have a chance to win that ball game. But then the, the Mariners game, we all know, where he was just dominant, went all the way into the ninth inning, not quite able to get the complete game. And then the Diamondbacks, you know, five innings, no earned runs. It's just down the stretch when you needed him the most, he pitched great. And then to, to compare that to Fromber, who – you know, you won that Mariners game with him, but he had to come out after four innings and you had to use all your bullpen guys just to sneak out with a win there. And who would have thought this? With the season over, Verlander finishes with a 3-2-2 ERA. Fromber finishes with a 3-4-5 ERA. So I would have been surprised if you told me JV would end up with a better ERA over the course of the season than Fromber, but he's pitched really good down the stretch. And, you know, for me, He's the number one. He's the guy I trust the most. I love Fromber too. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just kind of hot hand lately. Who's been pitching better in big moments? It's been Verlander. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Dusty gives him the ball game one. As the Astros assess this, my guess is they will go with the JV deferring to career status Mm -hmm. and pre-World Series. Justin Verlander has been tremendous through his postseason career. Uh, would it rankle Fromber at all, a guy you're hoping to extend conceivably beyond the two years remaining under team control? You can't worry about that kind of stuff. Right? You're going after the 2023 World Series now. Chance to become the first repeat champion in two decades, uh, vaulting the Astros even more up the all-time dynasties list if they get back to win a third World Series in seven years. But there is this to consider. The format of the division series, three out of five, Game one Saturday, game two Sunday, game three Tuesday, game four Wednesday. That does mean you need four different starting pitchers unless you're willing to come back with someone on three days rest. So I think what the Astros at least have to work through in their decision making on this is say they're down two games to one. I think 40-year-old Verlander on three days rest is a non-starter. So Fromber better equipped to go on three days rest if he started game one, but are you down two games to one in part because Fromber didn't deliver the mail in game one, or maybe it was Verlander who didn't in game two? Uh, or do you just say Verlander one, Fromber two, Christian Javier is not money in the bank, but I think he stabilized enough over his last three starts that he's the clear game three starter. So if you're down two one in game four, are you saying Urquidy piggybacked by France and the bullpen? Or do you want the option of coming back with Fromber on three days rest because Verlander would then have four days rest for a decisive game five? So I think you're you're derelict in your duty if you don't work all through through all these alternatives if you're the Astros. But in the end, I think they're just going to say we're going with our best and most experienced in game one. And if we need to adjust on the fly, we'll we'll do so. But Verlander one, Valdez two, that would put Javier on the road in game three. And then game four, it would be Urquidy, France, France, Urquidy, however they opted to go. And then game five, you would have both Fromber and Verlander on at least four days rest. 
Do you think with Urquidy's uh, most recent performance, do you think that kind of puts him ahead of the pecking order in JB France? Not that France hasn't had a great year, obviously. Comparatively, France has had the better year, but giving Dusty and his proclivity to give deference towards the veterans, and Urquidy certainly has a lot of meaningful playoff experience. Do you think Urquidy kind of jumps JP France in the pecking order here? Man, I don't know, but I think Dusty's definitely going to consider it. I hate to give you an I don't know, but it's Dusty Baker we're talking about here. And Urquidy, I mean, he was so poor that they took him out of the rotation recently. And that's with Hunter Brown staying in the rotation. And Hunter Brown has just been a disaster the last month or so. So for Dusty to view him lesser than Hunter Brown and just one performance, have him jump above J.P. France... I don't know. And you have to worry or think about like where do the pitching coaches come in on all this? Like what are they going to recommend? Is Dusty going to listen to him? I think it's a great question, Brandon, because none of us really have any idea but Dusty. It was just one good performance for from Arkiti, but it was a hellaciously good and timely performance. Um, I think they can wait on this. And what if, be it game one or game two, Fromber runs a serious pitch counter, isn't going well, you're still in the game, you're down 4-3 in the fourth inning, well, maybe you're saying, I'm using Urquidy here because I need a longer man uh, out of my pen. Right? France, a little more experience earlier this season, but I would think in a postseason spot, they would they would have more trust in Urquidy. So you know, it's a decision they don't have to make until they get in the series. Uh, Verlander, as strong as he was in Arizona, only went five innings because it took him 94 pitches. Well, for one game, that's fine, right? One reliever, and then you get to Neris, Abreu, Presley. We might want to modify the order on that in the postseason, subject to yeah. where you're at in the batting order in a given inning. Um, but especially if two days in a row you don't happen to get uh, a deep start from your starter, maybe you've used a Kitty before a prospective game four, and that swings it to, to France's favor. Or you sweep in three and don't have to worry about any of this stuff. And the bullpen in that final stretch was also nails. You know, shout out to all those guys. And Dusty kind of showed us when he had to win a game, you saw who he went to and how long he went to them in preference over some other guys. As goofy as we find the lineups from Dusty, I feel like the bullpen usage, especially in those final games, was very telling. And I think a lot more practical and logical than some of the lineup decisions that he makes throughout the season. We saw Brian Abreu, Nails, Hector Neres build the statue. I almost was thankful that maybe Presley wasn't available on that game Saturday night just because Presley has seemingly had a hard time keeping the the sheet clean during his recent uh, appearances. What is your final assessment of how this bullpen stacks up? And how do you think they'll use some of these other guys like Maton, Ryan Stanek? I mean, we saw Ryan Stanek couldn't even buy an appearance in the last postseason. How do you think those extra guys in the bullpen fit in? And would Dusty consider changing his closer in the postseason? I would lean to not. Uh, Presley has been shaky in recent weeks now, not just that outing Friday night. Abreu has been awesome. Uh, you know, the robot managing thing that save situation, ninth inning, must use closer then and only then. You use your best reliever when the most critical outs of the game are in play. Now, that Presley's not their best reliever, I think, actually helps in this decision making because say you're up 3-2 in the seventh inning and you're playing Toronto and they have a couple of runners on and here come Springer, Bichette, Guerrero. That might be the true save situation in the game. 
I want Abreu in there. Well, no way is Dusty going to go to Presley ahead of Abreu in those spots. Uh, so where you fall in the lineup, you know, if you're facing the bottom of the, it's a 3-2 Astros lead going to the eighth inning. The bottom of the order is coming up, 6-7-8. I would rather use Presley there right now, get through that, and then I have my best pitcher as their best hitters are coming up when they turn over the lineup in the ninth inning. That would be a, a pretty big stray from, from the how the Astros have played it. So I presume they'll stick with what they've been going with. Uh, Neris is obviously the number three guy. And then I presume they go to the analytics and play the matchups game, whether it's Maton or Graveman. Look, it was with a big lead, but Montero's burped a couple of times again recently. Uh, is he an absolute lock to make the playoff roster? Right? You really, you're certainly not going to carry 14 pitchers. That would be stupid. In a five-game series with two off days, you really don't need 13 pitchers. Right? You have a garbage man type that you can throw in. So that's the kind of roster-making decisions they'll have until Saturday morning to work through. I think it'll be interesting because I remember back when Graveman was on the team the first time a couple of years ago and they went to the postseason. Some of the times he would put Presley in the eighth inning and then Graveman the ninth, and Dusty would say, I did that because the heart of the order was in the eighth inning, so I wanted Presley to face those guys. And then Graveman pitched the ninth, and we know he had closing experience before he came over to the Astros. This year's a different story, but... I do find it interesting. Dusty said this a few times when Montero was coming some of these games around the fifth or sixth inning and kind of pitched really poorly and let the game get a little out of hand, give up three, four innings. Dusty several times has said that, hey, what am I not going to use the guy? I want to put him in now in the fifth or sixth so that if he does cough up the lead, we have several more innings to catch up and get back in the game. Whereas I'm kind of with Charlie, if the game's hanging in the balance in the, the sixth inning, I'd like to see Naris come in. He's kind of their cleaner for me. You know, a couple guys on base and you're worried you might lose the lead. Get Naris in there to, to clean up that inning and get you out of there with the lead. Where Dusty sees it differently. He, he'd rather cough up a couple runs there and then have enough time to come back and, and recapture the lead again. So I think that's something that's going to be really important. It'll be interesting to see if Dusty still plays it that way in the postseason as opposed to the regular season. And to Charlie's point, you know, is Montero even going to be an option for him? Uh, and just one other roster decision I expect they will not even contemplate. But again, it's a five-game series with two off days. You don't need 13 pitchers. <laughs> I would rather have a third catcher, which would be Cesar Salazar. So if, uh-oh, I'm down 5-2 in the fourth inning, but I have a couple of guys on and two out, I could be very aggressive hitting for Maldonado. Let's say Dubon is in center field, McCormick is in left. That means you have both Brantley and Diaz on the bench. Well, if you're facing a right-handed pitcher, Diaz hit better against righties, but you prefer the, uh, the sage veteran Brantley and want to use him early, well, then you could put Salazar in the game and you still have Diaz on the bench to hit for Salazar the next time around. Or if there is another spot where you wanted to hit for Dubon because uh, you're looking for a long ball. Uh, are they going to wedge John Singleton onto this playoff roster just for that snowball's chance that he runs into a mistake and hit a fly ball in a spot that way uh, in Seattle? Um, so, you know, these are decisions at the, at the end of the roster because you're back to 26 after being 28 on the roster in September, that you wouldn't think should tip a series. 
But if there's one moment where that one extra player, you know, the way they had Miles Straw available for just pinch running usage a couple of years, basically, you know, what calls will they will they make on those spots? Multi-position flexibility. God forbid someone gets injured, right? Greg Kessinger offers you more in that area, and he's certainly more of a speed guy. Uh, then John Singleton, who's a one-trick pony, you're hoping he runs into a mistake and can can hit a home run. So uh, they have until the weekend, and we'll we'll see what they choose to do. I think it's interesting if we look back to the World Series last year. Remember, Christian Vasquez didn't get a start at DH until that final game. And remember, what had changed then? Well, what had changed is Yuli got hurt, and they elevated another backup catcher to the roster. So they had some insurance in case there was an injury. They had a third catcher on the roster. And then that's when you saw them go to Christian Vasquez in the DH spot in the final game. So you wonder, will Dusty have the same mentality to where, well, I, you know, I, I can't use up a Yiner Diaz in case an injury were to happen if he doesn't have a third catcher available to him. But you hit the head on the nail there, Josh. That was because of an injury that they changed that lineup. Yep. You had got nothing out of the DH position up to that point. So Dusty's back had to be put all the way against the wall for him to make that decision. So I don't know that his mindset changes there until, like you said, maybe there's an injury that forces him to rethink it, which we hope is not the case there. But when you're talking about that Dusty mindset about Montero and putting him in early enough for the, giving them time to catch up, I would hope that's a regular season mentality because looking at that final stretch of the season, when the season was hanging in the balance, Montero sat in the bullpen through that final stretch. So let's move on to our, our final topic here. As New York learned last season, you never really want to root to face any team, but there's obviously some intrigue with the Jays and the Twins, each of them having a former Astro on their team. On paper, guys, which team do you think the Astros match up better against in a potential ALDS matchup? If healthy, I think it's a coin flip. The Astros lost the season series to each team. That's meaningless. Regular season results aren't predictive, and the stakes are a tad higher uh, in the postseason. But there are serious health questions around Minnesota. So I guess from an Astros perspective, you know you shouldn't root for injuries or lingering issues with other teams. But if they happen, they happen. There are more clear and present dangers on those fronts with the Twins, starting with Carlos Correa, who basically had a miserable season. He ranked highly in one category this year. He led the major leagues in grounding into double plays, 30 of them. Right? Jeremy Pena had a disappointing sophomore season, really no progress offensively, OPS 705. Carlos Correa's OPS was a pitiful 711 this year. Had a little bit more money than, than Pena's making. Uh, Byron Buxton, the guy's always hurt. He's capable. Well, this year he wasn't all that great when healthy, but uh, he's a big threat bat. Finished the regular season on the IL, as did Royce Lewis. Uh, like Buxton, a former number one overall pick in the draft, Lewis was huge in the stretch where the Twins put away the Guardians in the American League Central, hit three grand slams within a week. Uh, he has a lot of thunder in that bat. Uh, he's their third baseman of healthy or at least if healthy enough to be their designated hitter. So if the Twins aren't in full force, if they uh, get to Houston Saturday, uh, that would cut more favorably, I think, than a, a fully healthy Toronto team. Um, in terms of intangibles, right, the Twins going into the Blue Jays' best of three, Minnesota, the all-time record across any sport, 18 consecutive postseason losses. Right, The Astros dealing a, a chunk of those. But you have to go all the way back to 2004, not since they've won a series, since they've won a game. Well, 
uh, what kind of pressure release valve is thrown open for the Twins if they win two out of three and come here, a, a confident team with pretty good starting pitching? Toronto, meanwhile, last year blew an 8-1 lead against Seattle and getting eliminated two straight in Toronto. If they overcome uh, that gack job and come down here with a potent lineup with a lot of big-name firepower, it just really didn't deliver this year. George Springer, who's aging. George Springer's OPS this year was closer to that of Jake Myers than it was to McCormick or Tucker or Alvarez. On the other hand, well, we're pretty familiar down here with how George Springer pretty habitually raised his game uh, in the postseason. Vlad Guerrero Jr. finished with a sub-800 OPS this year. Uh, Bo Bichette, after a couple of injuries, was good but not great. Matt Chapman had a monstrous start to the season. He was actually benched a couple of games uh, the last couple of weeks for the Blue Jays. Uh, both, though, have solid starting pitching staffs. Um, both have pretty good bullpens. Uh, I think the Twins' closer, uh, Duran, is better than the Jays' closer, uh, Romano. Uh, so with the health variable on Minnesota, I would say uh, slightly prefer for the Astros to get the Twins, but you hit it, Brandon, and especially in a best-of-five series. It's so short, anybody can beat anybody else, and careful what you ask for. I'm with Charlie mostly for, for the injury concerns, stuff like that. I, either one, I'm not rooting for anybody. I guess if I picked one, it'd be Minnesota. We've we've had some success there in the past, and you know, Correa hitting into the most double plays in the league. Well, playing with plantar fasciitis, that ain't going to make him faster to try and run anything out. So I'm going to lean that way with Minnesota. But both teams are top eleven in OPS and ERA. So they're both highly qualified teams that they're going to give you a tough series. So, yeah, I'll, I'll lean Twins, but whoever it is that comes, I like our chances. The Twins tied the Rangers for the American League lead in home runs. Right? Everyone was light years behind the Braves, who tied the all-time record with 307. Uh, the Twins hit 233, tying the Rangers. The Twins, though, set the all-time Major League record this year for strikeouts by their hitters. I'm not talking about their pitching staff, which is a good one and racks up the case, uh, but – all of the Twins' good hitters have holes and can be pitched to, and they strike out a ton. Uh, so, you know, but they can hit the ball out of the ballpark. So, uh, and also by virtue of the Astros winning the division and hanging out until Saturday, and they can sort through their options, line up the pitching the way they want, the Astros are facing, at best, the number three starter for the Twins or Jays in game one on Saturday. Um, root for that series to go three as an Astros fan. Then you're facing the number four starter. Because the Tuesday guy, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he can go in game two, and then with the off day, they're back to normal. Uh, But game one, that is where the Astros have the clear on paper starting pitching advantage because we're all presuming Verlander. But even if it's Fromber, you'd rather have that guy than the Blue Jays or Twins, uh, certainly number four starter and probably number three starter. Charlie, you kind of talked about the historical context of the Twins postseason failings. Twins and Jays, their iterations of of these teams have never gotten over the postseason hump. Conversely, they're going to be playing the antithesis of that, a a team that's had extended postseason success. We talked about anything can happen in a best three of five. How much does that experience influence this matchup? I think that's one of those that in theory, it's a huge advantage in practice. You just see how the the five games go, um, right? What was the the Astros' experience level in 2017? Right, they had the wild card in 2015, then the series with the Royals, and they weren't even in the playoffs in 2016. 
uh, that collection of Washington Nationals coming in here and winning game six and seven over the battle-tested, proven championship medal Astros. Uh, I just think short series baseball, you're you're largely shooting craps. You go out and you just need to be a little bit better than the other guy. Uh, whether it's the Twins or Jays that advance, uh, they do have that burden lifted and they'll get to play the no one believes in us card because the Astros will be the favorite regardless whether it's the Twins or Blue Jays getting here for the weekend. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. That's going to be it for another episode of Stone Cold Strohs. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. Charlie, Josh, and I will catch you next week. Talk some postseason action, but you don't have to wait that long to get your Houston sports fix on YouTube. All you have to do is subscribe to the Sports Map Houston channel. John Granato, Lance Zerline, and Josh will have you covered there. If you want to follow some Texans action, New Texans on Tap podcast, check that out. And remember, if you're driving around in Houston, ESPN 97.5, 92.5 is our sister platform. They have you covered on your radio dial. Thanks to everyone for listening. And as always, go Strohs.